Since the day she gave me that coveted final rose, my wife, Trista Sutter, has made me a better person. If she can get me to know better, to do better, and to just all around be better, then I'm sure she can do it for you too. You're listening to Better Etc. with my wife and your host, Trista Sutter. Hey, everybody. This is Trista Sutter, and I'm back for episode four of Better Etc. And you guys, this one's a good one. It's with Ben Nempton, who is a best-selling author, a sought-after speaker, and one-fourth of the Buried Life Gang, which was a great show back in the day on MTV. He is a man with a mission, and he's helping people live life without regret, and I am here for it. Hopefully, you will be too. Today, he shares all about his personal experience from anxiety and depression to happiness and fulfillment, as well as sharing his personal toolkit, including an epic bucket list that we all can use to develop meaningful connections, unbury our dreams, deal with stress, and live life without regret. I have a feeling you all will love listening in on our chat as much as I loved having it. So here we go. Hey, everybody. I am so excited for my next guest. I was lucky enough to meet him back in 2013. We were doing a show called Rocky Mountain Reno that ended up not getting picked up. Anyway, during that time, he also helped guide me because I reached out to him because he was a New York Times bestseller and asked him what I should do to promote my book. So he helped guide me through that. And every time I'm with him, honestly, you guys, I feel lucky to share the same space. He's just one of those people who makes you feel happy and inspired, and I'm really thankful to call him a friend. You all may know him from The Buried Life, his number one New York Times bestseller, as I mentioned, What Do You Want to Do Before You Die? The podcast he's been on, including one with my friend Caitlin Bristow, our mutual friend, Off the Vine, and maybe even his talk. So he speaks all over the country and has been doing it for a while, and I I am loving doing research for this. I'm loving listening to your talk. So well done. He does talks on making the impossible possible, increasing resilience, destigmatizing depression, and why you matter. So everybody, please join me in welcoming Ben Nempton. Yes, thank you, Trista. It's so good to see you. I was just, you know, we were just talking about how we hadn't seen each other in so long and remembering our our time together when we were working on the the pilot and then collaborating a little bit on your book launch. It's been too long. So it's really good to reconnect. And I'm so happy that you're now doing this podcast and, and, and spreading you know, all these positive vibes and helping to make other people a little bit better. So thank you for doing that. I'm excited to to be here. And it's really good to see you and to be here again. So excited. Thank you so much for making time for me. I know you're busy. Well, I would assume. I mean, hello, you're engaged since we've seen each other. Congratulations. How's that going? Thank you. Yeah, it's been going, it's been going great. If you look at sort of the length of time we've been engaged and uh, if that's a measure of how great it's been going because we haven't been able to get married. (laughs) So I feel like our engagement is going really well. We've been engaged for about a year and a half, maybe two years. (laughs) We pushed the wedding twice, you know, due to COVID, but it's been, it's been fantastic just to, you know, I guess we've been able to be in that honeymoon phase for a long time and we're still looking forward to, to the actual wedding itself. But we actually went back to where I proposed in Moab in Utah. And there's this place called Delicate Arch, which is like a big rock oh, arch there. on the top. Yes. So it's yeah, Arches National Park. Totally a must. I think Arches National Park is one of the, the, the definitely the most beautiful national parks I've been to in the US. 
And Delicate Arch is this massive rock arch that you look at and you're, you sort of think, how was this created? It's on the top of a mountain, on the edge of the mountain. And my girlfriend at the time, you know, we went up to Delicate Arch and it was early morning and we went right up to the arch and I had a photographer that was hiding underneath the arch. You know, I was getting very nervous because I had the ring in my pocket and uh, I I kind of just dropped down in one knee and she sort of was like, where did you go? I mean, she couldn't see me for a second. I was down on one knee and, and then I proposed and we got it all on camera. It was really quite a special moment. So we went back there actually a couple of months ago on a road trip through Utah. So we got to revisit it. So although we haven't gotten, you know, officially, we haven't had the wedding yet, we did go back to where I proposed and, uh, and sort of celebrated that moment. So, so yeah, so the, the engagement has gone, has gone, has gone well. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's so special. We're all about road trips. We have a, we have an Airstream and camping is huge fun for our family. So I'm a big fan. I think that's great. So to start, I'd love to go back to a time in your life that I'm I'm sure is hard to talk about, but I feel like you are like me and I feel like the hard times are important times because you learn so much. So before the buried life, before the book, before the speaking engagements, I'd love for you to share the struggles that you went through through rugby prior to all of this and the path that led you to MTV. So I was in my first year university. We call it first year in Canada right? Freshman. <laughs> and, you know, life was really good for me at that time. I was happy. I was doing the things that I thought I should be doing. I had uh, an academic scholarship to a really good university in my hometown. I Rugby is really big in Western Canada. You know, it's kind of, I always say it's like the third biggest sport behind hockey and hockey, right? <laughs> like just behind, <laughs> just behind hockey is rugby in especially in Victoria where I grew up which is you know near Vancouver but it's an island but that's where the national team trains and so so rugby was a huge deal at my high school and in my community and um and so I played it and and I was able to make the national U19 team which was a big thing for me sort of being someone who was not necessarily built for rugby, but I was I, I played fly half, which is kind of the quarterback and the field goal kicker in one position. Okay. It was definitely a position that had a lot of pressure. And I always put a lot of pressure on myself to succeed. I don't really know why I, my parents didn't put pressure on me. I think it's because I wanted validation from others. You know, I think that for me, looking back, that was one thing that is something that I've tried to uh, sort of take less weight on by, you know, having this validation from other people dictate how I, how I feel. So, but back, back then it was really important to me. So I was playing rugby because it was the cool thing to do. It was the big sport and I was playing in this high pressure position. And so we were going to the world cup, which was in Paris, France. I was of course going to the field every day. I was practicing my field goals. I was mentally getting ready for this big job. I and mean, this was my shot. You know, this was the, the world stage and this was really this was, this was going to be the, the sort of the highest level that I'd ever uh, competed at. And so I started to worry about my kicks. And when I was in a big game in high school, in a championship game, I missed a kick at the very last moment to win the game. 
And that kick just stuck with me. And I thought, I cannot do that again. Like I blew it and I can't do that again. And so then I started thinking, well, what if I miss like an easy kick like, right in front of the goalpost? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, what if I completely botched this once in a lifetime opportunity? And so those thoughts would creep into my mind at night and they would be accompanied with anxiety. You know, they would be accompanied with an inability to go to, you know, to fall asleep, right? Because these thoughts would be spinning around in my head. And so slowly over time, this anxiety, this constant pressure that I would put on myself to succeed, it all built up and caused me to slowly slide into a depression. Up to this point in my life, I'd never experienced anything like this before. This felt like it came out of nowhere. You know, I was on paper doing really well. I, I was on the national rugby team. I had an academic scholarship at a great university. I had a great group of friends, very A-type personality, outgoing, positive. And all of a sudden, I was driving to university, you know, where I had my scholarship, and I pull into the parking lot, and I couldn't get out of the car. So I'd sit there, and I'd end up driving back home. And then my parents would drive me to university and encouraged me to get out of the car, and I couldn't get out of the car. And ultimately, I dropped out of school, and I lost my scholarship. And then I was unable to go to rugby practice. And so I was dropped from the national rugby team. And I became a shut-in in my parents' house to the point where I was really unable to leave the confines of my house. I was just encouraged by my parents to go for a 15-minute walk every day to get out of the house to get some fresh air because at that point it was sort of the only thing that they could think of that was positive for me, you know, as a daily activity. And I was sort of unable to do anything else. And, and, and oftentimes I'd just because I had agreed that I would go for the 15 minute walk, you know, when I, I kind of walked out the house and I knew, and knew that they had closed the door behind me, I'd sometimes just go hide in our driveway for 15 minutes. And then I just come back and tell my parents, yeah, I went for my walk. And so this whole, experience for me was very scary and it felt like everything was was crumbling and gone you know that all these positive things they had in my life were suddenly they had disappeared and there was no path that I saw to getting them back I just didn't understand why I kept feeling worse and worse I tried medication tried therapy and nothing seemed to work. And it just was really a debilitating time for me. The thing that was the hardest was this darkness that I felt. And the scary part for me was, you know, I didn't know how much darker it could get. You know, I just didn't feel like there, that was the unknown that really freaked me out was, you know, in the dead of night when there was no one around, I just would remember thinking about this, how bad can this get just was so uh, overwhelming. So I never thought about the path to ending my life. But these thoughts popped into my head where, you know, I was thinking, you know, we would just, would it just be easier if I just wasn't here? And I think that that actually happens to a lot of people, you know, feelings of depression, anxiety since COVID hit is up 400%. So it's a definitely 400%. That's, that is feelings of depression and anxiety. Got it. Okay. So the, wow. The feelings of depression and anxiety is up 400%. Yeah. So that's, that's a big increase. And and what we can do to combat those feelings in a, in a little bit, because I think there's a lot of things that we can do in this time of self-isolation that 
there's small, easy things we can do to increase our well-being. Uh, but of course, I didn't know these things at this time. You know, I was a 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid. I didn't know what was good for me. I didn't know about positive habits. I didn't know about mindfulness. I didn't know that it takes a couple of times to find a therapist that works for you. I didn't know that it took some time to find medication that worked for you. I didn't know that all my friends were going through something similar or had gone through something similar. I didn't know that all these things that I was going through were actually going to end up being my gifts moving forward. And you don't know those things when you go through your first, first crisis. And that is the hardest part is that when you hit that wall for the very first time and you go through your first mental health crisis, you are completely in shambles. You have nothing to relate it to um, and you feel like you're going insane. And, and you're if so you don't alone. talk about it. Yeah, exactly. And if you don't talk about it, then you are isolated and that's, that's the worst part. And so, and so that's what was, what was happening to me. And I, and so finally my friends came to my house and they were like, Ben, like we're pulling you out of this house. You need to come with us now that it's summertime and you have dropped out of school. We're going to work in a new town for the summer and we want you to come with us. And so they rallied me to join them to go to this new town and, and work and live for two months. And, and slowly then am I forced to do things for myself, get a job, start feeling some self-worth, talk about what I'm going through to my friends and start to learn that I'm not the only one that's been going through something or, you know, had, had gone through similar feelings. And also I start meeting new people and I start meeting these young people that are doing extraordinary things. And they've, you know, because we were in Banff, Alberta. And so there's this little, you know, this town where people come from all over the world. So I met these people that had started their own businesses or they traveled. And these are kids my age. They'd already been around the world. And I'm like, I didn't know met young people like this. This was giving me energy by being around these people, these, these, these young people that were inspiring. And so, after that trip away, I thought, okay, I'm going to try and only surround myself with people that inspire me, just like those people that I met in the, in the summer away. And so that was my deal with myself. I'm only going to be around people that give me energy versus take energy. I'm only going to be around people that inspire me. And uh, I had to think about who out of all my friends were inspiring. And, and there was this one kid that came to mind, and he was a filmmaker. And I knew him from the neighborhood. I secretly had always wanted to make a movie. It was kind of like a dream of mine growing up. Make a movie or make a TV show with my friends was was always a dream. So I just called him up on the blue. I said, Johnny, his name was Johnny. I said, you you make movies. I've always wanted to make a movie. Let's, would you consider making a movie with me? <laughs> he was kind of, took me a couple of calls to get through to him because he was sort of screening this unknown number. I'm sure. And um, yeah, so finally he was like, you know what? It's funny. I was just talking to my friend Dave about something like this. And Dave was a friend of ours that was two years younger than us. He was went to my same high school. And so we got Dave and we got Johnny's older brother, Duncan, and we all started talking about making a movie. So this is 2006, right? So this is now I'm starting to feel a little bit better. And now as, as we move into this movie making mission, I have this sense of purpose, which ultimately I learn is a huge pillar of wellness. And I'm starting to express my creativity, which is another huge pillar of wellness for me. And I think an overlooked 
you know, pillar of wellness for a lot of people is expressing your creativity and letting that, that, that version of yourself out. That is, um, that true expression of you, which I think is what creativity is. And so, so that was kind of the impetus of this whole project was ironically, you know, came from this dark place and learning, wow, I really need to change the people I surround myself with. And it launched this, this movie making mission. So cool. I mean, such a good story. And not obviously because of the struggles, but just how you were pulled out of it. You had such a great support system in your friends and and they finally stepped up and didn't give you the option of sitting around at home, not doing anything and, and feeling bad about yourself. And I feel like that's like you said, I feel like a lot of people go through that. So thank you for sharing that. And especially with anyone, you know, really that you talk to, I think it's really important to share that we are not alone. Every, people out there are not alone in their struggles. And you never know what someone's going through. Yes, yes. You know, everyone is going through something that you can't see. Yeah. And I think that there's, you know, there's not a lot of things that we can kind of count on as truths, but I think that that is a definite truth because you, when you see things happen in the world and you're like, why is this happening? Why did this person do this? Or, you know, you just have to remember that everyone is battling something that is invisible. And at least that gives us a little bit more empathy and Hopefully, some forgiveness around people's actions. It doesn't it doesn't forgive what people might do that could be wrong. But like, if you just think about that, is one thing that connects us all. And so, you can also find solace in the fact that when you're going through something, you just you you're just not alone. There's no way, shape, or form that you are on an island going through your struggle, and therefore. There's no shame in it. So, in fact, there is this strange shift in power that happens when you actually voice those things that you're struggling with that I found to be incredibly helpful. And I'm sure you've experienced this as well, you know, where in the beginning, I didn't want to talk about my depression. You know, so fast forward to when I started speaking and I thought, you know what, I should probably really share this story of how this happened. And I was nervous to speak about it and really go into detail about my own struggles with depression in front of, you know, thousands of people. And rightfully so. It's just like it's a very sensitive thing to expose and you become very vulnerable. But I did it because I thought, you know what, if people are struggling and the suicide rate is so where it is, if I can help veer someone from that path, okay, I can probably figure out a way to, to get through this. And I felt like I was ready to speak about it publicly. So I did, and it was very difficult, but it got easier. And each time I spoke about it, it was a little bit easier. And now I look forward to the opportunity to speak about it because I know that it's a tool that I have to help others. And this thing that I thought was my weakness actually turned into my strengths when I really embraced it rather than trying to hide it. And that is this, there's this incredible shift that happens when you start to speak about these things, they lose power and they, they hold incredible power in your head. It's like, you know, there's this, these thoughts are the 
king and queen of their kingdom inside your head because it's, it's, they're in control. But once you speak them, they lose that control. You're able to break them down and you're able to work through them when you speak about them. And you give other people the opportunity to help you when you talk about them. Whereas if they're just in your head, you're on your own. It's You can only solve that problem. But when you talk about it, suddenly there's someone else that's helping you solve that problem and someone else that may have an expertise in helping you solve that problem or many other people. If you talk to many people that you care about. And so you're increasing the chances that you're going to overcome that problem just by virtue of the amount that you speak about it. And the other thing that you do, which is often overlooked is you open up the door for that person to then come back to you in their time of need. Mm -hmm. So So you create a pathway for connection so that they feel, okay, this person was vulnerable with me and I really respect that. And that means that I can be vulnerable with them. And so what I found was like when I spoke about it on stage, I was able to make other people feel okay to talk about it with me afterwards or, you know, follow-ups or, you know, they might be able to speak to to their friends about their struggles. And so if anything, you know, if not for you, you know, there's this power for other people that you're, that you're able to give them a gift of opening the door to speak about their struggles. And so it's just something to keep in mind when you feel like, you don't feel like you can talk about it. There's so many reasons why you should. Totally agree with you. 100%. And you know this about me. I'm pretty much an open book with most things in my life. And so I, I wholeheartedly buy into that. But I'd love to get into now where the buried life came from. How did you guys think of the concept? And how did it lead to the show? So we had this idea of, of wanting to make a movie, but that was about as far as we could get. You know, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't we weren't able to figure out what this movie was going to be about. So we kept hitting a roadblock very early on of what are we going to make? And Johnny was sitting in his English class at McGill University, and his English professor assigned him a an old old poem a poem written in 1852, and the poem's name is The Buried Life. And so he reads this poem, The Buried Life, because it's an assignment when he has to. And (laughs) something in that poem shakes him or strikes him, and he sends that poem back to us. He says, guys, read this poem. And this poem is articulating this feeling that has connected us, this feeling that has brought us together that we can't even really articulate. But it's this feeling of being buried. And we had all of these dreams and all these things that we wanted to do, but we hadn't done any of them. And we're like, why haven't we done all these things that we'd wanted to do? Why have we continued to push them off? And it's because they were buried. And the poem speaks to this feeling of you have these things that you want to do, but they get buried by the day to day. They get buried by work. They get buried by life or by school or by anything. And you have moments when you get inspired and you're fired up to go after these things. But ultimately, the day-to-day ends up bearing them. And so right then and there, we thought, okay, we're going to call this movie The Buried Life, even though we don't know what it's going to be about. <laughs> it was still, we're going to call it The Buried Life. And That's then we okay. Asked, that was a start, at least. That was a, exactly, it was exactly. And so 
Because we thought, well, we're not the first people to feel like this then. If this guy wrote this poem in 1852. No kidding. This is a human feeling. So, and probably before that, too. I mean. Yep. Mm -hmm. So we thought, well, okay, then if we're burying all of our dreams, how do we unbury our dreams? And we posed this question to each other. And the question was, okay, then what do you want to do before you die? If you're going to die, which we can all agree on, we're going to die one day. What are the things that we want to do before we die? And that's where the bucket list came from. It was it was from this question, what do you want to do before you die? So our bucket list, that was those were our answers to the question, what do you want to do before you die? And when we wrote the list, we had two rules. You had to pretend you had $10 million in your bank and you had to pretend that you could do anything. So there was literally nothing you could not do. So then blank canvas, what would you do? And so we wrote all the most ambitious, ridiculous goals we could ever think of doing. You know, go to space, make a TV show, um, you know, pay off our parents' mortgage, make a toast to strangers' wedding, you know, do a sketch with Will Ferrell. Oh, my God. Did you do that? So we did do that. Yes. Amazing. Oh, my God. I need to see it. I love it. Yeah. Yes. Um, although that was the one that we did. It was it, it has a little bit of an asterisk beside it because we actually drew a sketch with him. <laughs> Technically, we then said, well, because we we saw him at a Seattle Seahawks game. And we're like, we don't have time to film a sketch, but maybe we can draw a sketch. And technically, that would be off the list. <laughs> so we have if you go to my website, you, you can see the uh, the sketch that we drew with him and the photo with him. So oh, I love it. But. So we had all of these really moonshot goals. I said, okay, well, I guess here's our list. And let's go on a road trip and let's try and do as many of these things as we can in two weeks. Two <laughs> let's weeks? Do a two week I didn't know it yeah. was that limited. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because yeah, that's, that's, that's about as much money as we could save up Got it. to take off work before we went back to university. But there's no way we can accomplish these list items on our own. We're going to need the help of other people. So we should help other people accomplish their bucket list items. So every time we cross something off our list, we'll help a complete stranger cross something off their bucket list. And so we'll we'll do this two-week road trip. We'll cross off as many items on our list as possible. And we'll also help as many people as possible. Love it. And that was the mission. So this was, again, 2006. We, we, we bore an RV. We get a camera on eBay, we build our own website, we put our 100 dreams on the website and a contact page for people to contact us. We cold call local companies, pretending we have a production company, raise some money so that we can pay for gas. We work extra jobs throughout the summer so that we can save up and take the time off work before we go back to school. We threw parties as fundraisers, we do whatever we could. This was like really big borrow and steel to put this thing together. We took the RV to a mechanic before we left. We say, we want to take this on a, a road trip around British Columbia, right? Which is where we were in Canada. And he said, if you take this RV on this road trip, do not expect it to make it back. Okay. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. So it was a 1977 old, old RV. And we had this moment where we almost didn't go because we didn't have the money to tow it back. And it wasn't our RV. So we ended up saying, screw it. We're going to go. And we leave on this two-week road trip. And then the crazy thing that happened was as soon as we left, people started hearing about our mission. And 
they would then go to our website. They would look at our website and our, our bucket list and they'd start sending us emails and they'd say, Hey, I saw on your list, number nine, ride a bull. My uncle has a bull ranch. He can get you on a bull. Or I saw number 42, make a toast to a stranger's wedding. My best friend's getting married. I'm the best man. I can get you into the wedding. Amazing. <laughs> I love it. And then all these people started sending us their dreams, asking for our help. So it's saying, Hey, I, you know, I've always dreamed of singing a duet with Beyonce. I've always dreamed of playing Augusta or flying a fighter jet or driving a horse through a drive through. <laughs> and so we got inundated with all of these dreams and all of this goodwill to help us accomplish our bucket list items. And so after that two week road trip, we accomplished all of these crazy list items. And also we've been able to help all these people do their list items. And, and so we were completely blown away by the response. And we come back after this two week whirlwind. And the most surprising thing for me was I was really starting to feel this burning purpose. Although we thought this was just going to be a two week road trip. We thought when we got home, we thought, okay, you know, we should do this again next summer. And so this started this tradition of us going on these road trips in the summer. And each summer we would up the ante and go after bigger list items and help more people. And we would throw larger fundraiser parties and, and cold call bigger companies. And our 1977 Dodge coach and RV, we upgraded it to a 1966 purple transit bus that we bought off a nudist in Vancouver. A nudist <laughs> in Vancouver? Oh, I want to hear that story. Yeah. So we, that's probably how we got such a good deal on it. Um, <laughs> There was a bumper sticker that said, happiness is no tan lines. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> and then we were like, you know, we were crossing off, like, sing the national anthem at an NBA game and, and or, like, ride a bull or, you know, helping kids that were born with brain cancer go on a shopping spree. Or, you know, we helped a, a guy who spent a lot of time in a homeless shelter get his own truck so he could start his own landscaping business and so we were yeah we were just starting to learn that although we were accomplishing these really cool list items it was when we were stepping into someone else's life to help them do their thing that ultimately was was becoming the most meaningful this was our life through through college was you know working furiously to save up money and so we'd go on these road trips and film this documentary that kept going and it kept going until finally, we thought, you know what, we're at a crossroads. We can continue to do this as a hobby, or we can really double down and put all our chips in and try and make something of this and go after these big, big list items. And the biggest thing for us was make a TV show. Yeah. And you did it. <laughs> and we did it. Yeah. Over We, we cut a pilot. We, 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 we crashed the VMAs in Vegas, got into the awards in our purple bus filmed the whole episode, you know, that ultimately made it on the show. No one at MTV knew. And that's what we used as our pilot to oh sell it to MTV. Oh my gosh, how perfect is that? So we it was it totally came full circle. So we pretended we were filming a pilot for MTV to get into the awards that ended up being our pilot <laughs> that we sold to MTV. And so yeah, so then we all drove this purple nudist bus down to LA to make a TV show as executive producers having no experience in television to make our TV show. 
such a great story. I just, I love it. I just love it. Okay. So we talked, you mentioned the bucket list and the items that you had on the bucket list. So I want to delve into all the details of the bucket list and how that can help us all be better. So on the show, you asked the question, what do you want to do before you die? And you created this pretty epic list and you helped others cross off their, off the things off of their list, which I know was part of your purpose. But I, so I'd love for you to walk us through the what of a bucket list. What is a bucket list? And I actually, before we talked, I looked up because I was telling my in-laws about, about our conversation and how I was excited and what we'd be talking about. And we mentioned bucket list. And my father-in-law said, where did bucket list come from? I thought, huh, that's really a good question. I didn't know where it came from. And he thought that it came from the movie I think it was in 2008 or something like that. Seven Seven or eight. Yeah. Yeah. So is Mm -hmm. that where you feel that it started the bucket list? Yeah. I think that definitely popularized that uh, term, the bucket list, which came, I think I, I could be wrong. I just, this is just what I think it came from the idea of things to do before you kick the bucket. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah. That's what I found on Google. Yes. Yes. And so the film was about, you know, these two actually I haven't even seen the movie, which is totally bizarre. Oh my but gosh, you have to go watch the movie. <laughs> I, I know, I know. I think we had an aversion to it because we started it in two thousand six and the movie came out in two thousand eight or two thousand seven. And we were like, they stole our idea and so we had this thing against it. But of course that's not true. I mean we you know the, the but it was about you know, Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson, I think, right? I think so, yeah. Two older uh-huh. guys going after and doing all the things they wanted to do before they kicked the bucket. And so it became popular after that. And it, people's idea of a bucket list also aligned with the the film's definition of what it is, which is, you know, what do you want to do before you kick the bucket? So people think that a bucket list is about doing those things that you need to do uh, once you retire or, or, you know, as you get older. You know, we always got this question, like, why are you thinking about a bucket list in your 20s? Well, it's a valid question, but it depends you have to kind of take a step back and first define what a bucket list is. And so if your definition of a bucket list is, you know, things to, to do once you retire and before you kick the bucket, then that is one definition of a bucket list. My definition of a bucket list is very simple. And I kind of encourage people to forget everything they think they know about a bucket list because typically when we think about a bucket list, we gravitate towards adventure and travel. We think, skydive we think go to bali we think bungee jump or eat across italy or you know those which are all great things but that is one category of life and there are 12 categories of life there is adventure there is emotional the emotional category of life there's spiritual there's intellectual there's physical there's professional there's a myriad of different sort of, if you think about your life in the pie chart, uh, these different aspects of your life. And a bucket list should represent all of those aspects of life. And they are all the things that are going to bring you joy and happiness. So a bucket list is a list of things that are going to bring you fulfillment, joy and happiness. And ideally, they touch all categories of uh, of your life. So. From there, it's thinking, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, that's 
it means that it's different for everyone. There's no definition of a bucket list other than it's a list of things that are important to you. So that could be taking a walk every morning with your dog or calling your parents once a week or, you know, bungee jumping out of a helicopter over the Grand Canyon. You know, like all of those things are valid list items if they're going to bring you joy and happiness. And the idea of a bucket list is that you need something to remind yourself of those things that are going to bring you joy and happiness. Because if you don't have something to remind yourself, they get buried, which is why the poem, The Buried Life, was written in 1852, which is why this feeling is, is human nature. As human beings, we get buried by the day-to-day. And what happens is these things that are important to us, our personal goals, they get pushed. And there's a lot of research behind this, and, and we can actually kind of unpack what stops us as human beings from going after these personal goals, but just as a sort of an overall idea, human beings, we we push our personal goals, but the issue is we regret doing that at the end of our life. So at the end of our life, we we do not regret the things that we did. We regret the things that we didn't do. And 76% of people, when asked on their deathbed, what is your number one regret in your entire life? 76% of people, over three quarters of the population, they said the exact same thing. And what they said was, I regret not living my ideal self. So I regret living the life someone else wanted for me, not myself. And so if that is the uh, the thing that we are trying to avoid, right? We do not want to end up in the 76%. Everyone listening does not need to end up in that 76%. This is the reason why I speak and do everything I'm doing, because my goal is to increase that minority of the population, that 24% that lives their life, gets to their deathbed, looks back on their life and thinks, yeah, you know what? I may have failed at those things, but at least I tried, and I don't regret trying. So if you back up from there, it's like, okay, well, then why does 76% of the people end up there? And the reason is... So this all comes, by the way, from research from a psychologist and a professor at Cornell named Tom Gilovich, who wrote an, a paper in the psychology journal Emotion. The, the paper is called The Ideal Road Not Taken. And so, so he found there's these effectively three things that stop, stop us. One is that when it comes to our personal goals, there's no deadlines. So we have deadlines for all of these other goal sets in our lives. Right. We have work deadlines. We have other life deadlines, birthdays, insurance payments. You know, there's, there's always a deadline and there's consequences. If you don't hit those deadlines, you look bad. There's, there's financial consequences, et cetera, et cetera. You lose your job, et cetera. But for our personal goals, there's no deadlines and there's no immediate consequences. So we say, okay, you know what? Something else has come up. It's more important. I'm going to do this next week or I'm going to do this trip next year. And we end up doing that again and again and again until suddenly we realize, shit, I'm out of time, right? I, now I don't have time. I don't, I'm not, I'm not able-bodied or, you know, someone has, you know, it, it, so that's what happens. So we push, so we need to create deadlines around these personal goals. What we need to do is we need to create accountability around our personal goals to drive us forward. Yeah. And just like we have accountability at work, 
you know, with leaders checking in on us, we have a accountability because if we don't do what we're supposed to do at work, we might get fired. So that's a form of accountability. So how can we create these accountability structures that really work uh, in our professional lives, in our personal lives? And one way we can do that is we can we can share our goals because when we share our goals, we feel accountable to the people that we just spoke to, which is why it's important to talk about your dreams, talk about your goals, not just because then you give other people the chance to help you, but also because you then feel accountable uh, and you don't want to look bad. <laughs> if you say you're going to do something to your community and then you don't do it, you you can use that piece of your brain that's like, oh, I don't want to look bad in front of my friends to actually help you do it. So uh, writing down your, your goals helps build accountability. That's why you write your bucket list is because it may sound small, but the act of writing down your goals, writing down your dreams, you're taking an idea and you're making it real. So you create a foundation for your goals to grow. And so you now have a reminder that they exist. So you can look at those things on your list and say, oh, yeah, these are the things that are important to me. I took the time to think about it. I wrote them down. Here they are. That creates a bit of accountability. So we want to create accountability around our, our personal goals. And uh, the second problem that we face is that typically we wait to feel inspired to go after our personal goals. But that inspiration rarely hits out of the blue. Right. So, you know, I'm sure you have the, an example of like, for me, I bought a guitar. I'm still waiting to feel inspired to pick it up and play. <laughs> that is so like, Ryan. He bought one at a, at a charity event. Still hasn't done anything with it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Because you're waiting to be hit with that surge of inspiration, but it doesn't happen. But the trick is you can create your own inspiration through action. So if Ryan was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to pick up this guitar once a week. If I don't pick up the guitar, I got to put 20 bucks in this jar. Ooh, and that's good. That goes to like, you know, Trista's vacation fund. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and each time it doubles. He's going to do it. And he's probably going to find that as he's playing, he's going to start to feel inspired. So by the act of actually taking action, you create inspiration. So you start to feel inspired as you go. So you're the architect of your own inspiration through action. So you create that by moving. And so you don't need to know how you're going to end up at that final goal of, let's say, for Ryan, you know, playing on stage in front of thousands of people. That whatever would not be his goal. You know, yeah. <laughs> yes. Whatever that goal is, you don't need to know how you're going to get there. I mean, a better example is like for us playing basketball against President Obama. No idea how we were going to get that done. We were going to accomplish that goal. So we just did the first thing we could think of. Drive to Washington, D.C. Ask people on the street. Do you know anybody in the White House? Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. And then from there, we figured out the next step. You know, oh, we can actually contact politicians through their office via email. So send emails to everyone in Washington that we're trying to, you know, and then from there, oh, we got a couple of meetings. Let's take those meetings. Let's try and convince them to talk to their boss and have us meet with their boss. So you don't need to know the whole road to completion. You just need to know the first step and you need to take that action. That will create inspiration and you'll figure out what the next step is after that. So again, there's no deadlines for personal goals. We got to create accountability. There's, we can't wait to feel inspired to go after personal goals. We get to create inspiration today by taking action. And the third thing is that this, there's fear that stops most people. The fear of what other people think or the fear of failure. 
And these are just common human fears that everybody feels. I don't, it doesn't matter who you are, you know, you have this wired into you through decades and generations of this fear. And so it's, it said the fear of what other people think is dates back to when we were hunter gatherers. And if in tribes, if we went out for a hunt and came back without a kill and we didn't come back with a kill, we were at risk of getting kicked out of the tribe, which meant certain deaths. So if we did something wrong in the tribe, we were ostracized and that meant that we probably would die. So that was like real life or death fear. And it made sense, you know, this fear of what other people think. But nowadays, of course, it's not life or death. And the truth is, <laughs> I mean, I hate to break it to everybody, but like just people are thinking about you much less than you think they are. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like they're too busy worried about what other people are thinking about them all the time. They're too busy with themselves. They're just not thinking about you that much. And so that's kind of liberating when you realize people aren't actually thinking about you as much as you think they they are. And there's that like, I read this saying, it was like, in my 20s, I was worried about what other people thought. In my 40s, I didn't care about what other people thought. In my 60s, I realized I was, they were never thinking about me in the first place. Right, <laughs> amazing, I love it. So, you know, that's just kind of like more of a made up fear. And again, I, I think it's important to note that this is assuming you have your basic uh, needs met, right? Your you, sort of your basic Maslow's like higher needs. You have safety, you have shelter, emotional well-being, the, the fear of failure and the fear of what other people think. Those those are real fears, valid fears, if you know you're at risk. So let's just for the conversation's sake, say those are met and you're talking about going after something with a solid foundation, sometimes those fears are, are not as, as real as we tell ourselves. It's, you know, the fear of failure. If you're afraid to go after your goal or you're waiting for the right time, unfortunately you failed and you didn't achieve your goal. So when you try and you fail, you at least learn something and that outweighs any potential hit to your reputation. So those like are just a different way to think about those two fears, knowing that you're going to, you're going to feel them, right? I, I'm a public speaker. I speak all the time. I still get nervous, right? I still know that like I am going to get anxiety before I speak. And that is just part of the process. That, 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 that's normal. And some of that anxiety is actually excitement because anxiety and excitement are very similar. So I think, well, I must be very excited then to, to speak in front yeah. of these people because I'm feeling this excitement or anxiety. But the point is, is that these feelings happen. And that's that's okay. That they're normal. It's just kind of being a creating some awareness around them to differentiate. You know, what are the real risks? Let's 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 write down what are the real risks of doing this, and 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 try to to pen those and and make sure that those are based in the, your facts and your realities of of what you are putting at risk versus what you think you might be. Got it. So you did an awesome job of, you know, we started with the what of the bucket list and you covered the really the why and the how, which is awesome. That was a big thing that I wanted to touch on is that I think is so important for people out there right now, why we want to do, you know, to create a bucket list, why we want to put this all down on paper so that we have these goals for our personal life and not just for our professional life. And we're doing the things that make us happy and we're doing the things 
that drive our personal purpose. What would you say to people out there who are kind of still stuck in not only just the fear, like the natural fear that you were speaking about, public speaking, for example, you know, it's it's a scary thing and you're thinking that you're going to be judged, like not just that kind of fear, but the if people are stuck in a, a bad mental health place and and stuck in depression and and dealing with with that kind of struggle, how do you recommend that people lift themselves out of that? Because you going back to when you were first year university, did I say that right for Canadians? Um, (laughs) (laughs) when you're first year and going through those struggles, you know, you had your friends kind of pull you out of it, thankfully. But if someone doesn't feel like they have that kind of support system, what would you recommend to them to get out of it and start um, moving forward? First and foremost, I would say if you are able to talk with a professional about what you are feeling, you know, if you if you have the ability to talk with a therapist or counselor or, you know, an advisor, you know, someone who can help guide you and give you one, the tools to, to work through that, but also unpack perhaps what is causing some of these feelings because sometimes things happen when we're younger and they create loops and they of patterns of behavior that we're unaware of that it that it actually takes a third party to see those and say hey look i think you're doing this for a reason and it might be because of this thing that happened to you that you may not even remember so that could be from trauma that could be from any number of things and and sometimes it just takes someone else to to see those blind spots. So it also sometimes takes time to find the right therapist. You know, I, I mentioned that I had tried in the beginning when I was going through my depression and I talked with a number of therapists. I just didn't find someone that I liked for a while. Right. It took me a number of times. And which makes sense. If you go, if you walk into a cocktail party, what are the chances that the first person you're going to bump into you you know you really respect you have you get along with you like and you know is educated and really knows their stuff you know i mean you're you're talking about building a relationship with someone so just know that hey it may take one two three times that you go meet with new therapists until you find that person that you connect with and that's okay so don't get discouraged if you meet a therapist and you don't like them and you say your therapy's not for me yeah i don't think that's the right way to, to go. So keep that in mind. I know that therapy is expensive and also that it's there's a there's other barriers of entry there. So if you can't speak with a therapist, can you talk with someone that you that cares about you? A family member, someone that loves you just to talk and and, and voice these things that you're going through is so important. Cuz again, there's so much scary in your head and when you speak about them Sometimes you're able to work through them a little, little more e- easily, and and so from there, you know, I think that that is like because mental health is so complex, and there is no golden arrow that is going to be the cure all for everybody. But I do think that I can say that that therapy is is one thing that for most people is something that is is definitely worth 
trying. So from there, and there's a myriad of different things that I found to be useful for me. And I actually kind of feel like this, I picture this like my toolkit of things that I, habits that I do that, that I know are good for me that I should do all the time. And when I go through a down, I, I make sure that I implement and, and practice these things consistently because I know they're going to increase my well-being. You know, that's why it's so hard to go through your first crisis. You don't know your, your, yourself well enough to understand what's good for you and what is be, you'll be able to battle and, and, and sort of fight that down. So this is like everyone should have their own mental health toolkit or resilience toolkit. And so these are things like, as you mentioned, gratitude is a big one and gratitude on its own, you know, again, isn't a golden arrow, but it will help you focus on the things that are going well in your life and the way that you feel is dictated um, by your thoughts. And so when you focus on things that are positive, you're going to feel better. Typically, we focus on the things that are going down the toilet, right? We just, we fixate on those things and that creates a dark spiral. So when we force ourselves to look at things that we're overlooking in our lives that might be positive, like the fact that we're alive right now in a global pandemic, you know, that is something every day we should all be grateful for. You know, it helps reframe our thoughts a little bit. So that really helps. Things like nature. 20 minutes in nature will make you happier. That's called forest bathing in Japan. And it's What's it called? Forest bathing. Oh, cool. In Japan. Yeah, so it's it's the government, it's it's in their health, you know, plan that they encourage all Japanese people to to go out in nature. Huh. And you don't even need to exercise. <laughs> you just use your senses in nature increases your well-being. And so, if you can't get out of nature because of you're spending a lot of time indoors, you can bring nature inside and you bring plants inside and that increases your your well-being. Things you know, like exercise. Exercise releases serotonin and dopamine, which makes you happy. And it also releases negative emotion. You know, so when you move your body, you actually shed these negative emotions. And so you kind of feel a little bit lighter. And so five minutes, 10 minutes of exercise, if you can build that into your morning routine, just like brushing your teeth, well, hopefully you're brushing your teeth. If you're not brushing your teeth, you can build that into <laughs> then. You know, you can just say, I'm just going to every morning while as I wait for the the shower to warm up, I'm going to do push-ups until I can't do any more push-ups or hmm. I'm going to do a plank mm -hmm. until I can't hold it anymore and then I'll jump in the shower. It's incredible what that does to to your day, you know. And again, purpose, a bucket list. That's why you have a bucket list is is, is to remind you of those things that, that are important to you. If Things like giving back. When you help someone else, your brain can't think about how crappy you feel because you're thinking about someone else. So you immediately feel better. <laughs> and then you also build a meaningful connection. You know, mindful breaths, meditation, yeah, all these like practices. You can learn how to meditate with free apps like Headspace or Calm. Um, you know, there's a lot of great, even just like a mindful breath is, is really, you know, breathing through your lower abdomen pushing your belly button out and then back in. Um, if you feel anxious, you can just do three mindful breaths. It will stimulate your parasympathetic nervous system, which calms you down. Uh, and so 
I also think too, like, you know, the idea of doing a digital detox, I think is, is more and more powerful, whether it's, you need to take a detox from social media. You know, sometimes when I'm scrolling through social media, I get anxious because I'm constantly comparing myself to other people and their amazing life, um, which in reality is, is not even their real life. Right. Or I get overwhelmed by the news because I'm like, whoa, the whole world is collapsing. Yeah. So what you do, you, so you take a 24 to 48 hour news or social media detox. And this is not to bury your head in the sand so that you're unaware of what is going on in the world. This is about stepping back so that you can then gain control, right? All of these habits are, what they're really doing is you're focusing on things that you can control in a world that feels like it's out of control. So instead of focusing on the things that are out of your control, which you cannot affect, you focus on the things that are in your control and you, you start to go from reaction to action. And so stepping away from the news, stepping away from the, the social media, you pause, you decide on what is important to you, like what issues you want to focus on in the news or what social media accounts you want to focus on that are going to bring you joy and happiness so that when you come back, you have this sense of control and you say, I'm going to focus on this. And I actually, I'm going to focus on this issue in the news and I have a plan to make an impact. I have an action plan. So you have steps that you want to take to actually feel like you are making a difference so that you don't feel the effect of that as much. And you're now in the driver's seat. So that's what all of these habits are designed to do is to increase that control so that you can then continue to go after your goals and dreams, right? Because like sometimes it feels hard to go after your bucket list if you feel like you can't get out of bed in the morning. So you want to practice these habits consistently and then continue to go after your your goals and dreams. Awesome. Such great tips. Okay, so something that I'm going to ask all of my guests on each episode is what will you do tomorrow to be better? That's a great, great question. You know, we think about these, these, these habits that we can consistently practice, but I think it's important to like we get very specific on what we're what we're going to do and and these small steps all all add up and make a difference. And so for me tomorrow what I'm going to do to be better is I'm going to take more time for me and be okay with taking time off knowing that I'm not uh being lazy or letting things slide through the cracks that I'm actually kind of like, you know, I'm be proactive in my own self-care and I'm going to take uh, some time with myself and, and my fiance and do something special. Love it. Good. <laughs> I mean, so when I was thinking of these questions, what I wanted to ask people every episode, it was first, how how would you like to be better in your life? But I, I add on the tomorrow for that reason, to give it a deadline. You know, I think that you've talked a lot about deadlines, and I think that's important to put on, on our personal goals, not our professional goals. Doing the things that we love and that give us purpose and give us happiness, I think, is, is really important. And to set that deadline, I think, is even more important. So thank you. I agree. Yeah, I think that's a great question. So. Thank you so much for 
having me on. I'm very honored to be. Oh, I'm one of your so excited. I know. I love it. And I really, truly feel like you have found your purpose. You are creating such good in the world and sharing your story and sharing the meaning behind the buried life and the bucket list. So thank you. Thank you so much for giving me some time. How can people find you? So people can, I would say like if you could write your list and then take a photo of it and then share it with me, that would be- Oh my gosh, yes. Is that, is, is there a hashtag? Is it the bucket list movement or bucket list movement? Yeah, you could you could hashtag bucket list. I think too, if you tag me, uh, that would be the best way that for me to see it. So my social handles are they're just my name. So it's at Ben Nempton, which sounds like a mouthful, but it's B E N N E M T I N. And then we can we can stay in touch there, or you can go to my website, which is just my name, and there's all that information there. But yeah, I can you know let's create some accountability around our goals and share them with our community and and share them share them with me tag trista and we can both see them and so i think that would be the ask i think that's awesome it was such a pleasure i think everything that you have shared today is oh so wise and i feel like people will be able to live a better life if they're if they set out and do the things that you recommend so thank you thank you Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. I hope you feel a little better after having listened. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you're enjoying our show, please send it to a friend and put a little better into their lives. Also, if you would like to find me, you can go to Instagram at Trista Sutter or Facebook at Trista Sutter fan page. Thanks, everybody, and have a great day.